0: friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, thanks for joining me this morning. We are looking and resuming our study in the gospel according to John. And we're going to be reviewing chapter seven this morning. And uh, one thing that's interesting that I've noticed as we went through this study is a lot of John's focus happens to be around when they would travel to Jerusalem for feast. I believe this will be the third or fourth time uh, that that's been the case. And so in this part of the story, they're going back to Jerusalem again to observe the Feast of Sukkot or Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. Which is the feast that deals with you had to go, you had to travel to Jerusalem and they would set up a temporary shelter uh, that would commemorate the fact that they dwelled in tents or booths uh, in the wilderness. It's also a picture of the future tabernacling or dwelling with God. And of course what they fail to realize is here they are at this feast. And God, in the form of his son Jesus, is amongst them, dwelling amongst them. And they don't even realize it. In fact, the narrative ends with them arguing over whether or not he's the Christ. The big thing, though, is the religious leaders are really starting to try to figure out how they can kill him because, you know, he's interrupting their lifestyle. You know, he's, he poses a threat to their position and power. And uh, so it's very interesting in that aspect. It's also interesting to note that it starts off with, with his brethren trying to get him to go to the feast, and he tells them, no, he's not going to go, it's not his time. Of course, he does end up going because he is Messiah and he observes the law perfectly, right? And the law does say you have to travel to it's one of three of the, it's one of three feasts where you have to sojourn to Jerusalem in order to keep it properly. So that is the stage, and uh, he's going to be teaching in the synagogue. There's going to be some back and forth, um, and they're going to want to kill him. There's going to be an interesting phrase that comes up a couple of times. He'll say, my hour has not yet come. And it just really shows the sovereignty of God. And uh, after we get through our reading, we'll look at some commentary from Matthew Henry about that statement. Okay. Enough staging. Let's dig right in. Gospel according to John, chapter 7. King James Bible, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judah, that thy disciples may see the works that thou doest, for there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. So please note, his brethren are like, go to the feast and do some miracles, you know. You know, stop doing everything in secret and reveal yourself to the whole world. And it says because his brethren, they even his own brethren didn't believe in him, And we remember when Jesus said, "A prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, amongst his own kin." And this is something that uh, I won't spend any time talking about right now. But if if you've worked in ministry and you've then you've probably experienced uh, that situation for yourself. Verse six. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go you up unto this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then he went also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man, and others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews." Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, He knoweth this man letters, having never learned. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. He that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go you about to kill me? And the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. So they're asking a question. You have a devil in you. Who's, who's trying to kill you? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should be not broken. Are you angry at me because I have made a... M- I made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. So he's bringing up a previous offense, right? The the last time he was there, he healed healed a man. And it was on the Sabbath day, and everybody started flipping out about it. And everybody's all up in arms about, oh, he's doing a work on the Sabbath day. And he's making a point. He's like, you circumcise people on the Sabbath in order to keep the law. And you're worked up about me healing someone on the Sabbath. Verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? So you have some who are believing upon Jesus that he is the Messiah and they know that the religious leaders are out to kill him and they are, and then so they're pondering within themselves don't they want to kill him and do they not know do, the rulers meaning the religious leaders do they not know that he is the Christ the Messiah verse 27 how be it we know this man whence he is but when Christ cometh no man knoweth whence he is Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. Please note, that's an important line, and we're going to circle back to that when we finish. They sought to take and kill him, but for some reason they couldn't. They were restrained by something. It says, They sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. The third time in this chapter that this statement has been made. It's not his time. There's a specific time that's appointed that he will be taken, but it's not yet. And no matter how bad they want to do it, they can't. And we'll come back to that as we read Matthew Henry's commentary here in just a second. Verse 31, And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, we will, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? And The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither you cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? And will he go into his dispersed among the Gentiles, and cheats to Gentiles? What manner of saying is that he said, Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, but some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So please note, they're starting to debate whether or not this could be Messiah, but they're having a problem because the prophecies say that he would come from Bethlehem. And see, they know that he grew up in Galilee or he's from Galilee, but they don't understand that he was actually born in Bethlehem. So they've, they're missing some information here. If they had known this information, would that have changed anything? I don't know. Verse 43. So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But these people who knoweth not the law are cursed. All right, so please know here's what's happening. The religious leaders are being like, if this was really the Christ, don't you think us really knowledgeable and, and you know, high positioned people would have believed on him? You know, like you peasants are stupid, you know, and they even say you people knoweth not the law are cursed. Of course, we know that Nicodemus kind of in secret, who's a Pharisee uh has believed on christ or at least appears to and he comes to the defense here next verse verse 50 nicodemus saith unto them that is he that came to jesus by night being one of them doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth and they answered and said unto him art thou also of galilee search and look for out the galilee arises no prophet And every man went to his house. So Nicodemus is like, hey, do we make a judgment before we actually hear it? Uh, Which is out of the Proverbs. It talks about how it's foolish to answer about a matter before you've actually looked into it yourself. And then they bring up the point, hey, go search the scripture. See if you can find somebody, a Messiah that comes from Galilee, right? Because again, they don't understand that he's actually born in Bethlehem. And that is how chapter 7 ends. So let's circle back. Because the I think, I think it counted maybe five times. I should have literally counted, but I think it was around five times where they're wanting to attack him. They're wanting to hurt him, but they're unable to. Right? They're wanting to seize him, but they can't. So let's go back to verse 30. It says, They sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. So here's what Matthew Henry's commentary says. And I just think it's very profitable for us this morning. So open up your hearts, listen to this. The provocation which this gave to his enemies who hated him because he told them the truth, they sought therefore to take him, to lay violent hands on him, Not only to do him mischief, but some way or another to be the death of him. But the restraint of an invisible power, it was prevented. Nobody touched him because his hour was not yet come. This was not their reason why they did not, but God's reason why he hindered them from doing it. Note, first, the faithful preachers of truth of God... Though they behave themselves with ever so much prudence and meekness, must expect to be hated and persecuted by those who think themselves tormented by their testimony. So he's making some bullet points here. He's like, first, if you're going to be a faithful preacher of the truth of God, even if you do it with meekness, people are going to hate you, right? Because it convicts them and they don't like it. Secondly, God has wicked men in a chain and whatsoever mischief they would do they can do no more than God will suffer them to do. Let's just let's just absorb that for a minute. This is such w- amazing words that Matthew Henry wrote hundreds of years ago that we really need to embrace in our hearts today. And especially as we see What goes on, it seems like the wicked, right, who are doing all these terrible things, and we're probably going to do a prophecy podcast this week and talk about some of it, it seems like they're unrestrained, but that is not the case. God has them on a chain, like Matthew Henry is saying. They can't do everything they wish to do. They can only do what God will allow them to do, what he'll suffer them to do, because he is ultimately in control of all things. Things the master, the master chess player. No matter what move these wicked people do, God is ten steps ahead. He's not taken off guard. He's not surprised. He's in complete and utter control. He laughs at them, as the scriptures say, as we read in the Psalms. God laughs. The heathen rage, and they and they desire to do these evil things, and God laughs from His throne. Even in this moment, they they want to kill him, but it's not the time. And so they are unable to do anything except for what God would suffer them to do. Let me continue reading here. The malice of persecutors is as imp- impotent even when it is most impetuous. And when Satan fills their heart, yet God ties their hands. I love that. The wicked man, he, God has wicked men in a chain and whatever mischief they would do, they can do more, no more than what God would suffer than them do, and yet Satan has filled their hearts, yet God has tied their hands. Thirdly, God's servants are sometimes wonderfully protected by indiscernible, unaccountable means. Their enemies do not do the mischief they designed, and yet neither they themselves nor anyone else can tell why they do not. Fourthly, Christ had his hour set which was to put a period to his day and work on earth. So have all his people and all his ministers and until that hour comes the attempts of their enemies against them are ineffectual and their day shall not be lengthened as long as their master has any work for them to do. Nor can all the powers of hell and earth prevail against them until they have finished their testimony. that. Is amazing news. And I agree with everything Matthew Henry wrote in this little paragraph here. Just as the hour for Christ was set and determined and could not be changed. No matter what men sought out to do. So is it with you. God has predestined that you would do certain works. For the glory of him and for the glory of the kingdom And your day on earth is not over until that is fulfilled. Whatever that is, whatever God has for you to do, you will be able to do it no matter what evil attempts the enemy brings against you. They cannot change that. That's good news for us. That's what it looks like to trust and believe that God is incomplete and can utter control We look at the world and we're like, look what they're trying to do, right? Look at all the evil they're trying to do. Look at the evil plans they have. Well, they can only do what God allows them to do. And you've got work to do and you'll be able to finish it. That is the podcast for this morning. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you've been blessed. I pray that your hearts have been pierced. And I pray that you feel all the more confident in God this morning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast, those of you who do. Peace and grace be with all of you. Until next time, God bless.